Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Zoomers. We got half the church here and half on Zoom, and we're all going to be praying after all of this. Today's message is a part eight in a series called Guarding the Unity. Guarding it, keeping it, protecting it. Guarding the unity in our church community or church family. Guarding the unity, according to Ephesians 4, is a calling. We've been called and invited to follow Jesus, and in that calling, we've also been called. This is called for from every one of us to make every effort to guard the unity of the Spirit. It's not your unity and my unity first. It's primarily the unity of the Holy Spirit because being born of God's Spirit and being brought together to be joined and fit together in meaningful relationships and bonds over time, God did this. You and I probably would have had nothing to do with each other. We would have never called each other family unless God birthed us into his family, introduced us to each other, and says, that's your sister. That's your brother. Are you saying, like my brother and like my sister? <laughs> no, this is my family. You're legitimate children born of my spirit, and you are truly brothers and sisters in the family of God. So we're called in this family. You know, it's so grievous to parents to see siblings have nothing to do with each other at certain points in life. Or say, you're dead to me. You can't make a sibling dead. You can act like it, hypocrisy, but the reality is you can't undo a sister or undo a brother. A blood brother and sister cannot be undone. Even if you move on the other side of the planet, they're still your brother and sister no matter what you say about them or never say about them. And so in the body of Christ, the, God's heart for us is that we would Guard this unity through the bond of peace. When you seek God for peace, he will drive us to make peace with one another. And blessed are those who are the peacemakers. They, will sh they shall be called daughters of God, sons of God. They will actually be acting, truly acting, like what they are, according to God. Last time, in the series of messages I've given so far, there's all sorts of things we've said about how to guard our unity. The last time we were talking about love in Romans 12.9. I'm going to continue the next couple of verses there, but a little recap regarding love. In Romans 12.9, it says, let love be sincere. Another translation says genuine. The Greek says, let love, agape love, if you want to know which love among the many loves that, that exist, agape love is a deep, devoted, committed love. It's the deepest kind of love that you can have. It's a long-suffering kind of love, makrothimi, which means you are willing to go the distance with people, fallouts, weaknesses, failings, all of it is part of the package of being family together and what God expects in those situations is not 
offense or anger or brawling or slander or malice to fester inside and get the best of us and turn it into the worst, but that we would cleanse ourselves of that, put away all of that stuff, and find with the Lord what he has for every conflict. And he has something good, something helpful, something beneficial that each of us can do to resolve it every time. We're told to forgive each other just as God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. That's a high standard for forgiveness. You might think you have an option on forgiveness and unforgiveness, but not as a follower. If you want to follow Jesus, it's forgiveness. If you don't want to follow him, then your option is, I'm going to choose unforgiveness, but I'm not following Jesus. Bottom line. And here we are. We're talking about let love be sincere, anipokritos, without hypocrisy, because Reality is, it's like, how could love be insincere? You know how many one-night stands exist because of insincere love? Where someone was duped with all the moves that were not really love, but they really felt like it. No one's paid attention to me like that before. That is not a real love. That is an act. That's false. That's fake. I give you an ugly situation, but love can be a performance. It could be very external you do a great job on the act because you want people to like you or, or look up to you or view you a certain way. But if it doesn't run deep in the heart, deep, love that overcomes a multitude of hurtful things that we can do is a deep, sincere, real kind of love, according to 1 Peter. And love that actually resists harming people or hurting people fulfills the law. The commands actually are... The very foundation undergirding the commands of God is love every time. Love won't steal. Love won't lie. Love won't bear false witness. Love won't actually take someone else's spouse. It won't. It's love, commitment to God and to people where you don't want to hurt them that doesn't do all that. And Paul here, he draws from these things in the scriptures and he says, you want to know what sincere, genuine, real love is? Deep, committed love, it's the kind, it does two things. It abhors, weird word, never used it before, had to study it. It abhors, the Greek word is apostieo. It moves away, runs away, flees from, is horrified at the potential of being hurtful. You get hurtful thoughts. You want to give a person a piece of your mind. You really want to say it. You really want to do it. And love is horrified at that potential. It, it doesn't want to do it. Even though we get tempted to, to want to do it, Satan comes in, do it. They deserve it. They deserve you doing that. Fight fire with fire, evil for evil, eye for an eye. And then the, like the Lord is calling us out of that and saying, resist that. Stand against that. Cut the enemy off. Overcome the evil one with good. Abhor what is evil. Move away from that. Stand against it. Be part of the resistance of God that stands against all hurtful things. Abhor what is evil. Abhor toponiro. Poniros means injurious. It means hurtful. It means being one who causes harm. Satan is called poniros. Wicked one means hurtful one. The servant in the parable of the talents who had an ability to, to bless and do good with all that he had, he was called poniros, you hurtful one. Why? How, what did I do? You didn't do anything when you could have done good. You did nothing. 
That, in God's mind, is a negligence that is actually accountable as you were wicked. Satan doesn't do the good thing he's capable of, and he definitely does the evil thing he's capable of. And we're told to have nothing to do with that kind of stuff in real love. What are we supposed to do? It says, cling to what is good. Hold fast to it. If, if you've left what is evil and you don't know what to do, call on God. He will inspire you with the good thing to say and do. Hold on to that word and plant it in your heart. Hold it long enough so that it can bear the fruit of what he's wanting you to do, where you take the script from God, his word, and you apply it as his actor in life. I'm not talking about a fake act. I'm talking about one who puts into action or practice the things that God is telling us to do. If we don't do it, we might just go back to the hurtful thing. So the way to actually remove it and replace it altogether is take on what God has instead. Displace that right out of your life and practice this. The thing that God says is good, is helpful, is not hurtful. It's beneficial for the situation. That's hard stuff to remember sometimes because I've seen myself react faster than the Holy Spirit can actually get a hold of me and tell me what to do. <laughs> it's best not to react because usually most reactions have bad things in them. It's best to stop, drop, roll, repent, move away, ask God. Even if it's embarrassing to your kids where you're saying, I don't know what to do in this situation. All I want to do is the wrong thing, but I don't want to do that either. But I don't know what to do. And I look like a fool running to this kitchen and asking God and begging God, what do I do in this difficult situation? He has something. It's better for your kids to see you dependent on God than to see you strong and doing wicked, hurtful things. There's something to learn there. You're modeling needing God. Apart from me, you can't do these things, Jesus says. And you're modeling being a branch that's clinging to the vine and drawing from him what he has for the situation. Because most of the time, it doesn't come to us naturally. But supernaturally, it can. We're going to focus today on verse 10 and 11. More on love, but different kinds of love here. You wouldn't believe how many Greek, I don't believe how many Greek words exist. I never heard of this love. Never heard of this Greek word. We've read the books, so there's four kinds of love. This is a fifth one. And I've never heard of this one before. And you'll have to go do a study on it as well, because I spent days on it thinking, what? What? And reflecting, and I'm going to share a bit from what it means. Verse 11 of Romans 12, or sorry, verse 10 of Romans 12 says love, just after saying let love be sincere, not hurtful, beneficial, love one another. That's like that's so flat line, I barely know what that means. That word love is philostorgos. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of philostorgos before. I never did, actually. Uh, but it actually, it, 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 it belongs in a certain context, and it's being taken from that context and put into this context in the New Testament because it is a powerful word in terms of what it implies for love. Not yet. Hold on a minute. Let's get through the verses. Love one another, philostorgos one another, with brotherly affection. Philadelphia, not Philadelphia the place. Philadelphia, it says brotherly here, but the Greek word adelphia means siblings. It, it means brothers and sisters. 
Brotherly, I think, implies, well, they're trying their best in English to imply siblings. Adelphia means siblings. So love each other with the affection that biological siblings have. Be devoted to one, or, one another like that. But the devotion here is even deeper than siblings. We'll see what, it, we'll see what actually philosophers actually means. And then it says outdo. That sounds like a competitive word. We're going to have to break that one down a bit later on. What does outdo mean here? Outdo one another. Are we competing in the church in this area? If we compete in the church and get as much as we can happening in this area, everyone will be built up. There'll be no one who feels terrible. Everyone will feel affirmed and valuable and built up. Outdo one another in showing honor. A culture of honor where everyone is trying to be the first one that honors the other. Can you imagine competing that way? I want to honor you. Well, let me honor you first. I want to give you the seat. No, you take the seat. I paid for the check already. Well, what do you mean? I wanted to pay for the check. Outdo one another in showing the other that they really are valuable. And then it continues and says what we shouldn't do in this loving one another and honoring one another. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Slothful is a motivation word. It actually means don't be unmotivated. It looks lazy, but it's, the laziness is because of the lack of motivation. Don't be slothful in zeal. Spoothi, spoothazo. Do you guys remember that word? I said it before. Ephesians 4, 3. It, it, spoothazo it means to endeavor in making every effort to diligently study what God wants you to do, become a practitioner and a specialist in the things of God. Don't lack motivation being that kind of specialist in the things of God, like loving one another, honoring one another, guarding the unity, preserving it, keeping it, and going forward together, getting along. And then it says, be fervent in spirit. Zao, which is fire. Be fired up. Don't quench the fire of the Holy Spirit in the things of God, the things that Jesus has commanded and desires from us to do as followers. The Holy Spirit is committed to having us walk that walk with Jesus. He's the one who's been sent into our lives to enable and empower us to be true followers of Jesus. And he's saying, don't lack fire for these things. Be fired up by the Holy Spirit. You are a partaker of the divine nature, it says in the letter of Peter. That means you fellowship with God. Every day you have that opportunity. You can walk away and get cold, or you can stay in fellowship and stay hot and on fire. He's a fired up Christian. She's on fire for God. There's only one way to be fired up. And it's not to be a zealot, and it's not to be legalistic. It's to be in fellowship with God where he penetrates your spirit to such a level it starts affecting your soul and your, the rest of your human makeup, this earth suit that we wear, that we live in, begins to express 
things in radiant, beautiful, wonderful, amazing, supernatural ways because you're partaking of the divine nature, being affected by the character and the attitude and the way God actually thinks and wants you to think and do things. You get so affected and influenced. You're under the influence, not of alcohol, but the Holy Spirit filled up and all that's left is a river starts flowing out of you and people go, wow, where are you coming from? I'm coming from fellowship with God. So that's what we're going to focus on. (laughs) Loving one another, honoring one another, motivated by Jesus. His example, his leadership, his directives, and the very power that the Holy Spirit exerts in us to will and act according to what's agreeable to the Lord. Love one another. Let's start with this love. Philadelphia, I've already given you a definition of that. We've got to save some time here. I'm going to talk about philosophers. So in your devotion to one another as real, legitimate, spiritual siblings of God in the family of God, he says, love one another. Philosophers. Now what on earth is philosophers? What, what kind of love are we talking about here? Philosophers, the context for philosophers is the biological, natural family. And it's love within that context, and it's not from children to parents. They are not a good example of this word. Children are immature. They're born selfish. They want their own way, their own thing. They're entitled to it. They feel like they're entitled to it all the time. They actually need to mature and grow up out of that. They have some measure of love for their parents, but it's not the depth and sacrifice of love that the parents have to the children. This is parental love to children. Some of you are parents and you're thinking, man, I know what that means. Some of you have raised kids and some of them are adults and you go, man, I know what that has meant and still means in some ways. Parents, healthy ones who are devoted to their children, are absolutely self-denying, sacrificial people. They prefer their kids above themselves. It's a huge kind of love. It starts starts looking like the very love that Jesus Christ has expressed to us. God has put that kind of sacrificial love in parents for children. The children grow up under that and learn from that and might reproduce that. But I'll tell you one thing. God has loved us first. We love in the way that God wants us to love because He has loved us first. He was committed to us. He sacrificed for us. He laid down His life for us. He he shed His blood for us. He preferred us above Himself. He humbled Himself, got small from the throne down to a man, down to a servant, down to the great humiliation of the cross. That's taking a whole lot of crap for us. Do parents do that? Sometimes, but we know God has gone before us as our leader and as our model and as our example, and he has done it. He first loved us like that, and he's invited us. I'll tell you, the greatest joy a parent can have is not just to love their children, but to see their children loving each other with the same kind of love they've received from their parents, to see that kind of love where they're not writing each other off, but really sacrificing for each other, really giving to each other, really serving each other, really there, really backing each other, really running across the world for each other. That kind of 
of love, when a parent sees that, it's like my children have a real legitimate love. They're reproducing the love that I've given them. They're circulating it between each other. I'm at peace. And the greatest grief is to see the opposite. When I got diagnosed with diabetes in Athens, Greece, 15 years old, a teenager, it's kind of like the end of your world, the end of your identity, the end of all your worth, the value, my health is gone, I'm going to have to inject myself, how embarrassing, nobody likes that, nobody looks up to that, no one's going to like me anymore, I'm going to have to poke myself all day long just to survive. In that office, the doctor says to my dad, because my dad, how long is he going to do this, a couple of weeks? Your son is going to die if he doesn't do this for the rest of his life. That sobered up my dad pretty fast. My mom, in her desperation, her offspring, my child, parent-to-child love, says, can I, you said his pancreas doesn't work anymore. He explained everything. Can I give him, is there a transplant? Can I give him mine? I'm willing to become sick with diabetes for him not to be. Jesus took our sins and all the guilt and punishment, it says in Isaiah 53, and he healed us of condemnation that was coming to us. He took the wrath and the condemnation, absorbed it in himself so that you and I would not receive that or experience that or have that life and future or destiny. My mom's saying, I'm willing to prefer him above myself, to give him a chance. If it's possible, can we do this? And the doctor says, it's, it's not effective. They've tried it. It doesn't work so well. The body rejects it, dot, dot, dot. Philostorgos. That's the call to love one another as spiritual siblings in the church. That parental love, I'm taking it from the natural context, bringing it to the supernatural context of the family of God, and he's saying love one another like that. And you're thinking, I never think of you like that. <laughs> I might think of my kids like that, naturally speaking, but naturally speaking, I never think of you like that. The only reason I think of you like that is because God's telling me to. So that's the first motivation, his word. But there's more, more motivation in this. Let's talk about honor. It says outdo one another in showing honor. Do you know what showing means? It means it needs to be evident. If I say I honor you with words and never actually display any kind of honor in what I do in relationship to you, you might start doubting my, me saying I value you. If you... If you hear me saying, I honor you, and I do all sorts of things that make you feel dishonored, you think, well, that's a contradiction. That's a lie. If you honor me, why do I feel so bad <laughs> or so, so depreciated in, in what you make me feel like? What does it imply to outdo one another in showing honor? Got a couple of Greek words here for, for outdo. It's different in Greek. I guess outdo can be understood with the original Greek here, but it, it's, it's not the same. Proigumeni. Pro means before, and igumenos is a leader. And he's saying, our leader, Jesus Christ, who did this first, he loved us 
and valued us so much. He laid down his life for us. God gave Jesus to us. He laid down his life. They're giving us the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, we're, we're, we're very valuable to God for him to be giving us so much that we do not deserve. Proigumenos means be the first to do this. You hear God telling you, I've honored you and loved you like this. Now you love one another and you honor each other like I have loved you and like I have honored you. Jesus wants to be known as our discipler and teacher and leader by that kind of philostorgos love. And here we are. We got Jesus who goes before us. He's the example and leader of these things. We see that in him and toward us. And now we're being told now, among those who follow me, be the first follower. Be the one who runs to these things and wants to practice them immediately with your brothers and sisters. Be the one who brings great joy and pleasure to your Father in heaven to see it reproduced in you towards your brothers and sisters. Make him happy. Oh, but I love God. You can't love God who you have not seen if you don't love those who you do see. The command of God, it says those who love God obey His commands. That's His love language, obeying His commands. And He says, I've commanded you to love each other. You want to love me? Show it. Love each other. I'll take that as love toward me. If you don't love each other, it grieves me. You're not loving me. You're doing the opposite of what I want as a father. Be the leader. Be the leading example in this honor. Outdo each other. Got my uncles fighting in Greece on who's going to pay for the paycheck, and they, they just started, you know, eventually going to the bathroom, looking like they're going to the bathroom, paying for the bill. Big spread, three or four families, all paid for. Laughing at the end. I outdid you this time. I beat you to it. And do we feel mad? Well, they fight on who's actually going to be the first to pay. Uh, but they don't feel bad in the end. They feel like, wow, we feel honored. We feel blessed. That's a huge sacrifice. You just paid about 500 bucks for us. Thank you. And you leave with gratitude in that honor. Outdo each other. Give preference to one another, it says in Philippians 2. Above yourselves. Make yourself last. Let me hold the door for you. Uh, there's a, only a limited seating here. You take a seat, and you, and you, and you, you take a seat. Be the last one standing. Be the one who ends up sitting on the floor. Don't get someone else to sit on the floor. You prefer others above yourself, and you be the one who sits on the floor. Take the towel. Wash the dishes. Uh, well, that's for other people who actually are gifted in that. No, there's no one who's gifted in that. It's only those willing to do it. My mom's the last one standing because she's willing to do it. It's got everyone sitting and eating. It's like, Mom, we want a fellowship with you. Just want to make sure everybody's okay first. Looking out for you guys first. That's honor. Nothing to be offended at. It's like, wow, Mom, I wish I could do that the next time because you shouldn't be doing this all the time. Let me. You try to beat her to it. She grabs the, ah, let me do that. It gives, it's good exercise. You know, whatever, whatever her excuses are, but she loves to bless Love and honor and show it to us. And it's saying, show it to each other as spiritual brothers and sisters. Now, what if I don't have the motivation, George? You know, not everyone deserves this. There are some real crappy attitudes around me sometimes. You want me to show honor to a person who does not deserve it? I don't feel like it. 
There's nothing in me that wants to do that. That's hypocrisy, where I'm doing what I don't really want to do. You want to know what hypocrisy is? Hypocrisy is acting like you're not a Christian. You're acting like away from the things of God. To actually do what God tells you is to be right in line with who you are. And to act in other ways and think it's okay and make an argument for it, you're actually making a whole fake lie reasoning for doing the opposite of what God tells you you are and what you should be doing. You're a child of God. You're a son of God, a daughter of God. Bless one another, honor one another, love one another. These are the things that the children of God do. And I know our sinful nature will fight that, and I know Satan will make excuses for not doing that. But what if I'm not motivated? No matter what you're telling me here today, George, I am not motivated to do this. You don't know that person like I do. You don't know what they've done to me, what they've said to me. Yeah, I'm not saying to be self-motivated. I don't think Paul is saying to be self-motivated. He says, lack no fire for this. He says, lack no motivation for this. And what's the last thing he says? Serving the Lord. Not serving yourself or how you feel or what you think or the reasons you're giving to not do it. Serve him in doing it. Well, what if they don't deserve it? You know what the Lord would say back to that? You never deserved it either from me. Okay. We're done with that talk. Now follow me in what I've done to you as freely as you've received an undeserving thing from me. Do unto others. Let it freely circulate in this world. Let love overcome the darkness. Let the light of God overcome the dominion of darkness with this kind of sacrificial love and honor that we're being called to. The world will know that he came only one way. It says in John 17, if we actually are one... Just as he and the Father are one, loving the Father, the Father loving him, honoring the Father, the Father honoring him. And now it's our turn to honor one another as the children of God under the Lord Jesus Christ who we serve. And he says, serve me in this. I'll finish with a story. I kind of wonder how I've lasted so long. You've been here for a long time or a short time. Some of you a long time. I've wanted to quit many times, confession. There have been things that have demotivated me or hurt me or just things that are done and said along. There's been hundreds of people that have been part of WEC, by the way, if you want to count time. And here we are. I'm not trying to dishonor anybody, but there are things that happen that make you feel not worth anything when it's done. And I was in a restaurant at one point. I was a 27-year-old, way more way less mature. I didn't take it well. I wanted to be liked. That was my number one desire back then. Now I don't care if you like me or don't like me. I try my best to be kind to you. That's about it. If you don't like me, that's fine. I tried my best to give a response because I was the pastor of Living Stones Christian Fellowship at the time. Ten years of a pastor in that fellowship. And there were a couple of people who were church bouncing and they became part of our fellowship for a few months. And there was something said to me in response to, they asked for my opinion. Should I stay or should I go now? Should I say it? Should I? And I felt I didn't agree with what they were saying or what they were up to or the reasoning. So I tried my best in a gentle way to submit something. 
I was not harsh. I tried my best. I knew I needed to be careful on how I said it. I put it on the table at Perkins. 20 of us there. There's 20 people. It's public. And I got humiliated with the words that were being spoken back to me by just putting it. You didn't have to do it or accept it, but I was called things. Uh, I'm not going to repeat everything. I felt really bad. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like quitting. I felt like I'm not coming back to this church and I'm the pastor. <laughs> Those are the kind of things I felt in that moment. And I went outside. I had a good buddy named Tino. He says, let's go to my place. We'll worship. You don't have to figure it out. Let's just worship God. So we go there and we worship. Tino was a long worshiper, so we worship for hours. Sometimes one song was an hour. <laughs> and we, we would meet with God like that. And in that time, I still didn't know what to say to God. I actually still felt like quitting. I didn't know how to say, what, what do you do with this? I don't like this. I didn't sign up for this. I never thought it would be like this. What did I do wrong? I don't deserve this. And they don't deserve honor for me. And I'm not going back to that church to serve them. And as we're worshiping, I saw something. Sometimes you see a flash of something. Sometimes you see something longer. This was one of those longer things that you wanted to escape. It brought me down to my knees. I started to weep. Tino, you know, he worshiped through it. He knew that I needed to deal with stuff. But what I saw that brought me down low and wanted it to stop was Jesus at my feet washing them, not talking to me. I didn't know what to do, and he was showing me. Get low, get small. I know that sometimes it's undeserved. Keep honoring, keep serving. Why, Lord? Following me, serving me, do it for me. They are valuable. They are broken. They were rude. That was uncalled for. They may never apologize. Keep serving them. And in that time of him washing my feet and fellowshipping with me down low, a low level, he was saying, this is a better place for you to be because then you'll be able to do this. Don't keep standing way up there. Stay down here low. Me, your master and your teacher have washed your feet. You would do well if you do that as well to your brothers and sisters, even if you think they don't deserve it. Motivated by serving the Lord. I've made it to this point. God bless you guys.